Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by international caliber Olympic weightlifting coach, Leo Totten. Awesome, awesome interview for you coming up. But before we get there, want to take a quick moment. Thank you for tuning in. Love and appreciate you for that. And give you just a quick recap of the week that was, give you a deep thought, and uh, just give you some things to think about before we jump into the interview. So past weekend, awesome. Got plenty of downtime. Got to hang out with the kiddos. Kay's doing great in basketball. I feel like he's getting better every single week. It was the all-star break, which I'll talk about here in a minute, but my guy Glenn Robinson was back in town, and since he started this season, he has actually started a new foundation called the RE Foundation. It stands for Angels Are Real Indeed. It is his daughter's name as well, Ari, and the whole point or the whole purpose behind the foundation is helping families in need. Maybe it's families that don't have fathers or helping low-income families, you know, you know, have a great Thanksgiving or having enough money to buy Christmas presents. So, I mean, Glenn is just such an amazing human being and he actually had an event this past weekend. It was a daddy-daughter dance and super cool, right? Like no charge, but I mean, an amazing food spread. Uh, his personal chef Josh Stone King came in and just just hooked up an amazing spread of food from homemade chicken fingers to fruit skewers in the color of the rainbow to prime rib to steak, you know, skewers, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, just an awesome event. Great to see a lot of you know, just really dialed in dads and dads that want to make a positive impact on their daughter's life. So it was so much fun. Kendall had an absolute blast and just great to see him doing a lot of good in the community. So talk more about it later on, but I think Glenn and I are going to collaborate on a boot camp, a charity boot camp at IFAST to raise funds for the RE Foundation in the future. So awesome weekend. Uh, as I mentioned, it was the all-star break. So we had a handful of guys in town to get some work and man, look, a lot of guys, I think, and rightfully so want to take some time off. I think you need to take some time off over that, that six or seven day break that these guys have. But it's also really noticeable, the guys that go and just sit on a beach for six or seven days and don't think about training, don't do anything to keep up their body, and then come back versus the guys that maybe take a couple of days off, get a little bit of work in, then take another couple of days off so their mind and their body are fresh going back into the season. Look, I can't tell you what's right for every guy, but I know the guys that we've had in, we're not trying to beat them up. Joey's got some really good work in with him. He does such a good job of like dialing in, figuring out, okay, what is this guy going to run? What are his looks going to be like? And he creates the entire practice session around what they're doing in games. It's just such a beautiful thing to watch that. You know, I'd like to think I'm doing some good work with them in the weight room, trying to make sure that their bodies feel fresh, that they feel bouncy and strong and explosive when they go back so they can finish these last 30 plus games at a really high level. So that's been fun having those guys back in. Always a shame when they go away, but I also know and a couple more months, and we're going to be right back in the throes of the offseason. So awesome, awesome weekend, awesome all-star break. It's been great. And before we jump into the show, I want to give you some insight into a post that I put up on Instagram last week. And it was very simple. It's the word quality over quantity. And this is something that I've had discussions with with a lot of friends lately, a lot of people close to me. Uh, it actually came up as part of a discussion between Glenn and I at his event. And, you know, I think 
especially when you're young, you get so caught up in this mindset of, you know, I need more. I need more money. I need more friends. If I'm in the gym, I need to to push harder. I need to get more workouts in. And maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's a learning thing. I don't know what the case may be, but I know for me, quality over quantity is just such a powerful indicator for me for success, right? Just as a whole. And so let's kind of knock off a couple of these boxes and let's look at this because, you know, when it comes to training, that's what you're probably here to listen to and hear us talk about is talking about training. But when you're young, you think I just have to get more workouts in, right? So it's not uncommon when you're starting out, maybe you train five or six days a week and it's push, 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 grind, grind, grind. You're trying to get as strong as you possibly can or as big as you possibly can or as lean as you possibly can. And over time, you start to realize, man, maybe there's some diminishing returns here. Maybe I'm not getting the same return on my investment on my fifth or my sixth day when I'm just kind of going through the motions in the gym. So you start to realize, hey, man, I can get the same ROI on four or maybe even three days in the gym. Now, man, that really opens you up. You don't feel as beat up anymore. You don't feel like you're living in the gym. You don't regret or hate going into the gym anymore. It's like, no, man, I'm excited. If I'm only going to go three days, I know I'm going to put in a good day's work when I'm in the gym. So training is one area you can look at this. Another one I think is hugely important is relationships, right? And the relationships we have with other people. You always think about, you know, high school and college. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, college, high school or college were the best days of my life. And I'll be honest, like if high school or college is the best time of your life, like I, I'll be honest, I feel sorry for you. And here's what I tell all my high school and college kids. High school should be the best time of your life when you're in high school. College should be the best time of your life when you're in college. But if you're 40 something years old and you're still looking back on college as your glory days, man, it means you haven't evolved. It means you haven't drilled down any deeper in your own life. And I just think about, you know, the relationships that I have now, I'm so much more comfortable in my own skin, so much more comfortable in who I am, who I want to be as I, as I age and as I get older. And so the quality of all those relationships, because I'm more self-aware makes the relationships that I have with other people so much deeper and so much richer. You know, a final area that we can think about this is the work and the career side of things. And man, I see this all the time now, especially on the gram. I see these people and they're throwing up like two and three books a week and, you know, oh man, gotta, gotta keep learning gotta keep working. Like I get that. And I'm glad. I, I mean, I really hope if you're reading that many books every week that you're really ingesting that information and making it your own. But I feel like now it's so much like a, hey, look at me, look at all I'm reading. You should be doing this because I'm me and you want to be like me. It's not like that. It's not like that. You have to figure out what quality means to you in your work, in your career, in your continuing education. And I can tell you now, a lot of my continuing education may be, man, I'm going to have 10 minutes in this car ride. I got a 30 minute drive to the facility. I'm going to have five, 10 minutes of it. And I'm going to watch one of Bill's short videos on YouTube or on Instagram, and then I'm going to shut the radio off and I'm just going to think about it for 20, 25 minutes. Like, how does this apply? How does this make sense? How could I take this and use it maybe with a specific client or does it apply to the clients I'm going to see that morning? And how can I use this, this cue or this technique to help me get more out of my coaching? 
So I, I guess I would just implore you, don't get caught up in this trap. And it's so easy right now. Like it's easier now than ever before to get caught up in this quantity over quality mindset. Like I have to be more, I have to do more, work, 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 grind, 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 more money, more money, more clients. Like get out of that mindset. Focus more on the quality of things, whether it's relationships, whether it's training, whether it's your work, your career, your continuing education. The sooner you realize it's about focused effort, high quality interactions, man, the easier everything will be in your life. All right, my friend, let's take a quick break and then we're gonna jump into this awesome, awesome show with my boy, Leo. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next CERT will launch in March of 2020, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. With over 30 years coaching the lips, Leo Totten is a world-renowned Olympic weightlifting coach and a USA Weightlifting Hall of Fame inductee. He is the head coach of the East Coast Gold Weightlifting Team, winners of the U.S. National Championships an amazing 18 times over. And beyond his club team's success, he's also been the coach or team leader for two Olympic teams, three Pan Am teams, five world teams, and four world university weightlifting teams. In this show, Leo and I take a deep dive into the world of Olympic weightlifting. We start off with the basics, like how to start the lifts and the biggest mistakes we see when people are performing the lifts. From there, we discuss hot button topics like the use and application to athletes, as well as what he would say if someone claims the lifts just, quote, take too much time to learn. I love Leo's balanced perspective on coaching and training the lifts, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. But enough for me. Let's do this. Leo, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I've been in the training business for a whole lot of years, and my background is in physical education. So, you know, I started off with, by seventh grade, I knew I wanted to teach and coach. So everything was geared toward 
teaching and physical education and using that background and that teaching background to, to be the best coach I can be. And I've coached, oh man, a ton of different sports besides weightlifting. Wrestling was my original background, and okay. uh, but I've also coached swimming and diving and track and heck, women's volleyball even. So uh, <laughs> uh, I ended up doing a little bit athletic director at my high school. So from a non-weightlifting standpoint, you know, I've done a little bit of everything, but I think that's also helped me in my weightlifting coaching, uh, sure. understand, understanding what the, those coaches are going through and what they need. And that way, when I get to the weightlifting part that it, it, it can really get it to apply to them. Yeah, man. And you're, you must be a coach's coach, just <laughs> dabbling in all those various sports over the years. Well, yeah, and and I've always said that you know to be a good coach, you need to be a good teacher. So, yeah. you know, the background that I have in education, I think, has really helped me in the coaching scheme because you know there's a lot of really good coaches out there that, you know, they you know they they might have the education background, but there's some out there who have just had, you know, their own experiences, and yeah. you know they just kind of feed off of those experiences, and that works too. But I think the education background has really helped me, and I've it's made me very comfortable working with people. And figuring that everybody's not the same and uh, sure. to treat them, you know, each individually, but still use the same principles. I love it. I love it. So tell me what originally led you to the world of physical preparation? This is an easy one. <laughs> uh, back when I when I when I was young, I was really little. Okay. Uh, and like in eighth grade, I weighed 83 pounds. You know, oh, I was wow. just a really little guy. Always enjoyed sports. And, and, you know, back in the day, you know, of course, it doesn't happen anymore. But back in the day, I mean, we were outside all the time. And yep. depending on the season, we were playing touch football or we were playing basketball or heck, I delivered papers when I was like eight years old and we had a <laughs> wiffle ball tournament going on waiting for the, the newspapers to get there. Yeah. So, you know, just that that's how it all started. You know, I was just really little and I started, I saw strength and health magazine. I'll never forget. That was one of the first yeah. things I said, you know what, I, I want to look like those guys and I, I want to get bigger and stronger. Uh, and it, yeah, I was the typical 98 pound weekly, you know, right. only I wasn't even 98 pounds. <laughs> and so, that's what really got me started, you know, just the fact that I was I really wanted to do well in sports and I knew that I was the little guy and I was I was doing really well for my size, but I wanted to do even more. And so that was really the start right there. Hmm. Bought my first set of weights. I live about an hour from York, yeah. so I bought my first set of weights that's from cool. York Barbell. That's cool. And that's that's where I really got into the uh, Olympic lifting part of it cuz I'm really showing my age here now. But, <laughs> that's okay. I love it. Um, Back in the day, you know, York was the, you know, the mecca of weightlifting. It, yes. was, it was literally called that. Guys would come in for world championships and uh, Olympics, and they'd come there just to train. And Bob Hoffman and the whole York Barbell Company, they would support these lifters. And, you know, they they paid them to be there and to, to train and to gave them menial jobs so they could focus on their training. And that, right. that was really a really good setup. Well, as a little kid, I went to get my first set of weights there, and that's when I first saw guys like Bob Bednarski and, and uh, Tim Garcia and Rick Holbrook and Bill Starr and all these guys. And I'm like, you know, I just sat there and I was just watching and watching and just learning. Yeah. And I, that, was, that was my start. And that, that was, gave me the impetus to, to keep on doing what I, did, do, what I was doing, but pretty much trained myself throughout when I got started, but just following Strength and Health magazine and the articles in there and just learn from that. Back in the day, we didn't have, 
you know, the videos that are all out there right. now or the, uh, the internet. So, you know, I had, had to do a lot of digging myself. So I'm sure. that, that was a very humble start. I but love it. Just kind of grabbed hold of me. I love it. I love it. So talk to me about going from, you know, training yourself and learning the Olympic lifts to where you're at now, because you've obviously had a pretty storied career, but I'd love to know more about, you know, getting from A to B. Well, I think I think one of the, one of the things that's really helped me, all of the things that I uh, basically had to teach myself and learn by trial and error. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the most rewarding things for coaching for me right now is that, you know, back when I was coaching myself, basically, it might have taken me say six months to figure out something I was doing wrong. Right. Well, now I can look at somebody and in six seconds say, <laughs> "Well, you just bent your arms too early, or you rounded your back, or whatever." Right. So. It was kind of a long, hard road, but now it's really paid off. I mean, all the program designs that I did for myself, you know, I was, we were figuring K, I was on my own figuring K values and all the stuff that was the, the big thing at the time, read all the Russian manuals and studied all that. And, you know, at the time it was very time consuming, but I was really into it. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, just, that was my thing, you know? Yeah. And so it's really kind of paid off now where all, all that background of knowledge, even though it took a while to get it. It's really paid off, and I think that's that's overall made me a better coach. I love it. I love it. So talk to me about transitioning. So obviously you were into the Olympic lifts, right? You went to York, and you saw those guys training. When did you realize that that was something that you wanted to be coaching? You know, that that's a good question because uh, I really didn't didn't want to focus on weightlifting coaching while I was still competing okay. because I was coaching other things at the, you know, at the time at my high school. Right. So – Well, like as an example, when I was uh, working at this one high school, I was trying to focus on my own training at the same time, but I was still coaching wrestling and I was coaching gymnastics and refereeing soccer in the fall and just doing a little bit of everything. Right. So I'm trying to train at the same time. So finally, I decided, you know what, I need to really focus more on my lifting. So I'm going to knock off coaching for a while in my high school so I can really focus on on my, my own thing. Yep. Well, they needed a wrestling coach, so they asked me would I mind moving to another school while, you know, so that they could move another coach in, kind of swap positions, so we could have a wrestling coach. And I really liked the school where I was at, so I said, okay, because I, I really wanted to help the wrestling program, but at right. the same time, wanted to help my own lifting. So that happened, and as it turned out, you know, I was able to, you know, do my squats over lunchtime and, and go right home and train and, and really focus on that. So it did it did work out pretty well for me. Yeah. Never did quite make the Olympic team, but right. uh, I was close. Yeah. The Olympic trials, and uh, so I, I was close and all. But as you know, you know, it's kind of rarefied air to actually make the team. And there's a lot Absolutely. of people that, that want to do that or say they want to do it and don't want to put the work in or whatever. Pretty well, nice. I was putting the work in, but just, just came up a little bit short. Yep. So, you know, the focus was really on my own training. So I really wasn't focused on coaching weightlifting. But then the Olympic trials in 1984 was my last competition. And I decided then and there, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to stop stop competing and really focused on focus on coaching. And so, because and there's a lot of guys who do both, they, they compete and they coach in the master's division and all, but I said, no, that, that's not for me. I, you know, I right. really want to focus on the coaching and coaches on fa- and, co- and focus on the family too, because, yep. you know, I had two young daughters and, 
you know, the, the time I was putting in, I was, you know, I was training five, six days a week, sometimes double sessions and, oh, heck, you know, Christmas morning, I'd be, I say, okay, we got to hold off. I got, I got to train here for a couple hours. So I, I'll be with you in a minute. So don't do anything, but hold up for right. me, you know, one of those things. But with coaching, it gives me a lot more flexibility in my time. And it's, it's I mean, it's still a lot of time, sure. but uh, gives me the, the flexibility and still do the family thing and still do a lot of the things that I wanted to accomplish coaching wise. I love it. And what was that? What was that transition like? Was that hard? I mean, was that something you struggled with giving up the competing? Because obviously, it's not like you were some slack athlete, you were a very high level performer. And now you got to kind of switch gears. Was that hard for you? Or was that something that, you know, you just kind of knew it was time and you were excited about it? You know what, for me, it wasn't hard at all. Okay. You know, and people even said, you know, because I, I, I try to say I'm pretty good shape and still not nearly as strong as I used to be, but still, you know, fairly strong because I still yeah. train, do more cardio stuff now than anything, to be for honest sure. with you. But I hope that people listening just for weightlifting stuff don't hear that because <laughs> cardio and weightlifting, they really don't go together. Uh, I know. But at my point, at the point in my career, I can do that. But people say, well, you know, you're still in really good shape. Why don't you lift in the Masters? And you know, for me, I love coaching masters. We, you know, my team, we have a great masters team, men and women. I love coaching them and I love what they do. It's just not, it's just not for me. I just, I, for me personally, I couldn't get thrilled of from doing 50% of what I had done before. It just, for me, that just doesn't, doesn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. So, but I, but again, I love what the masters doing. I, you know, our team, I know I, I, push them i always go to coach them at, at national masters and and meet so enjoy coaching them but just for me personally it w it wasn't a a tough break at all yeah that's cool just kind of change directions basically for, for sure so someone new comes to you and they want to learn the lifts where do you start and maybe what's your progression look like for starting to build some competency in the lifts well, you know, and, and it's really – I try to keep it as simplified as possible, okay? And and everything's kind of individualized. But we basically – I basically just go by the progressions that we teach in our USA weightlifting courses and the and my Titan training system courses. It's just basically going from the top down. So if we're going to yep. teach cleans, for instance, make sure they have a good front squat receiving position. Then we do the power clean from the, the power position or the mid around mid-thigh position. Yep. And each individual is different, and some some will be able to pick that up really quick, and then we can move the, the starting position down to the knees and do a power clean. And then if they can do that, we move it down to the floor. But in the meantime, because each individual is different, we just kind of – keep it to whatever level they can handle in good form. Okay. Gotcha. So in other words, if they, if they can't do a good front squat, then we don't clean yet. They're not ready <laughs> right. to clean, but we can do pulling motions. We can do, we can try to get the, the idea of that triple extension. And we do that from that power position, so to speak. So pretty much we, in, I individualize it and just take them from whatever position they can handle correctly and then try to gradually move it down to hopefully they can do it from the floor and you know we try to pick out what uh, what their issues are is it a strength issue that they uh that they have a hard time holding the correct positions uh is it a flexibility issue that they can't get into the correct positions because that's a lot a lot of times what happens you know people come to me and you know they might be really really strong but very tight and inflexible so 
I'm a big fan of working on weak areas. And, you know, if if you're not good at something, most people naturally don't want to work on it because they're not good at it, you know, and, you know, they'd rather do what they're good at and what what comes easier to them. So if flexibility is an issue, that's what you got. That's what you got to work on. If strength is an issue, that's what we work on. So, you know, pretty much individualize it like that. But it's pretty easy just following the top-down progression that we teach all the time and just take it whatever step that they can handle. I love it. So I got a follow-up question there because I think one of the most common issues you see is, as you alluded to, somebody being able to get into a good rack position when they're receiving a clean or when they're front squatting. What are some of the things that you do to help kind of get that mobility back and get them to a position where they can receive the bar in a better fashion? Well, there's a lot of things that I we do during during our courses because they they have to realize that their their lack of flexibility is going to take a, take time to fix that. Okay, sure. uh, it took a long time to become inflexible, and so it's going to take a while to become flexible again. So so we stress that and to be patient and work around it the best we can. But you know we take them through all kinds of uh, stretches, and you know a lot of times we have to figure out where the tightness comes in. Like for instance, if if they're say in the receiving position for the clean, usually it's tight triceps or tight lats, something like that. Right. So we we do a lot of foam roller type stuff. I'm working with a company now called Rad Roller that ha- that they really focus on the different types of modalities that you can use to kind of expand from what it, just the, the pure foam roller is. So they have things that are a little bit more specific. They have a real good education program on, you know, if you're in, if you have tight shoulders, what do you do? If you have tight lats, what do you do? And hmm. matter of fact, we've even started a, a series on that I have on my website that I'll, we'll talk about a little bit later, I guess, okay. that taking some people through some of those things. Even something as simple as having them do front squats, but use the lifting straps to kind of wrap around the bar so it kind of makes a little tail to it and then hold the tail so they can still do the same motion, the same elbow position and rack position, but now they're holding their hands up the strap a little bit farther. Right. I'm, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. No, I know, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Yeah, and then gradually the more they do that, then they can get their their hands closer to the bar and eventually they'll be able to rack the bar. But I think it's one of those things that it does take a little bit of time and yeah. – I always get the question, well, is it okay if we do our front squats with our arms crossed and and hold the bar that way? And I say, well, you could do your front squats that way, but is it really making your receiving position for the clean better? Right. Because you can't receive the clean like that. Right. So, and I I think it's important to for coaches to understand that if if flexibility in the receiving position for the clean is an issue, then they shouldn't be doing it because all the pressure is going to be on the hands and the wrists. Yep. And I. Went with the Cincinnati Bengals one time for a couple of days that the strength coaches asked me to stop in. This has been probably six or seven years ago. And they asked for advice. They said, you know, we really like to get all of our guys cleaning. Said, but we have like three or four really big guys. They're 340, 350 pounds, and they just can't rack the bar well. And, uh, you know, they, they end up holding it up on their hands. And then they said, well, what should we do? So I said, well, first of all, don't have them clean. That's right. the first thing. And I think they expected me to say, because I'm the weightlifting guy, oh, they got to clean no matter what, or they got to do this. No, you got to use some common sense, too. So I said, you know, I I showed him some of the different flexibility things, and then I said, at least just have him do the pull. Because when you do a when you do a clean, for instance, there's there's a couple major benefits. One, you get the that power aspect of it by doing the pull correctly. 
Yeah. Okay. Just the pull that triple extension. That's what sports all about. Sure. But then you get the additional benefit if you can rack it compl- uh, correctly. Then you get the additional core strength. You get working deceleration. You get yep. working eccentrically, and that really correlates to sport as well. Sure. So. You're talking about force production on the pull and force absorption on the catch, yeah. if you can catch correctly. But if you can't, at least get the benefit of the force production part of it. Yep. So, And then another thing, too, is that if they can't receive the bar correctly and clean, maybe they can receive it better in the snatch. Yeah. So have try how they do with the power snatch instead of the power clean. And that's one of the things that, you know, you just – the more you're in the sport, the more you realize that, hey, you can work around things. I love it. I love it. So you've obviously been doing this for a little while now. And I mean, you've seen it from kind of the beginning and those high level guys to the resurgence that we're seeing now, I think partially in in due part to CrossFit. So I would assume you've seen a lot of mistakes over the years. So when it comes to performing or even coaching the lifts, what are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing out there right now? There, there's a lot of different things. Like, for instance, I think the biggest thing is when they try to do a lift off the floor. Okay. Well, first of all, some people aren't flexible enough to get into the correct position. This is why we teach from the top down. Okay. Because most people are flexible enough to do it from the power position or from the knees, but then you ask them to pull from the floor and then you get all kinds of mistakes. You get the background and get the arms bending, you know, just that sort of thing. So the biggest mistake I see from the floor is number one, the flexibility to get into the correct position. And number two, the bar path, the bar path to me, you want to try to keep the, the, the center of gravity of the bar in line with the middle of the foot as much as you can because that's where your, your area of base is. And we try to yep. keep it in the middle of that. That's where your best balance is. That's where your best force production is going to be. Yep. So if you can keep the bar toward the middle of the foot, you're okay. But what happens is when, you get, when, you, when you're doing it from the floor and you reach down for the bar and the bar should be, oh, I don't know, quarter inch from your shins, okay? And your shoulders are above your hips and your hips are above your knees, you know, they're good start position. Well, from there, most people tend to be very quad dominant. So as they're pulling from the floor to the knees, what they automatically do is shoot shoot the hips down and the shoulders come back. Well, that pushes the bar forward. Mm. And, And that's literally in front of the feet. So at the setup, the bar is because the shins kind of get in the way, the bar is pretty much over the base of the big toe. Yes. Okay? That's a little bit too far forward on the foot. So the immediate movement should be if the hips and shoulders come up together, the knees and the shins should come back as the legs straighten yep. and the bar should come back toward the middle of the foot automatically. Yep. And I, I always look at somebody and say, okay, do you, uh, if you have bloody shins <laughs> or scraped up shins – there's a reason why that's happening, and usually it's they're trying to lift with the shoulders first because that puts all the pressure on the quads when really what they should do, if the shoulders and hips come up together, the bar comes back toward the knees, but then that they, the pressure shifts to the posterior chain. Yeah, That's the biggest problem that people have. They tend to be very weak in that posterior chain, so they automatically go to what they're stronger in, which is the, which are the quads. But in order for that to happen, that bar is going to shoot forward a little bit. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense without actually showing no, it. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that makes perfect um, sense. Yeah, and then uh, as a matter of fact, not to do a whole lot of self promotion here. Yeah, that's fine. But I've been putting together some blogs for my on my website. The one that was last week, and it basically we're talking about key positions. Yeah. So what I talked about was in the blog two weeks ago, 
that exactly what we're talking about from the floor to the knees. Okay. What's the starting position look like? What is the, when you're at the knees, what should, what should all the position, what should that position look like? And then we, I talk about the transition from the floor to the knees. That's where, that's where most people mess up. And bottom line is they just have that, have to have that strong posterior chain to be able to keep those positions. Remember I talked about the, the technique is important, but yeah. you have to have the flexibility to get into the positions and the strength to hold those positions. Yep. So that's, that's really the biggest thing. And then moving on off the line from the power position, it tends to be a lot of bar swinging. Okay. Mm-hmm. I call it a glorified reverse curl. <laughs> Well, yeah. you know, what, what are you trying to do with the clean? What, what's the purpose of that? And to me, the purpose is to develop that, that power and explosiveness. That's, that's why it's called a power clean. That's why right. it's called a power position. So if the bar is swinging out away from the body, then is that a technique thing? If you could just tell them, hey, keep the bar close. That'll help by itself. Right. But a lot of times, getting back to that flexibility thing, a lot of times people are really tight in the upper pecs and the, and the front deltoid from doing a lot of a lot of times benches are the culprit of that right and they don't have the flexibility to really shrug the shoulders up with the elbows up rather than back and and we're trying to keep mm-hmm. that bar close so it become it should be more like an upright row keeping yeah. that bar really close so the strength in that position and the flexibility in that position that's probably the the two things the the floor as well as that power transition from the power position to the catch which, by the way, is going to be the next key positions uh, right. article that I put together from that power position to the finish. I love it. I love it. No, I can totally imagine that, too, just like you said, coming off the floor. So if somebody's dealing with that issue, when you're trying to attack it, do you attack it from like multiple areas? Like, are you training that, say, in the lift, like you said, where you're training from just the floor to the knee and holding an isometric and trying to get them in the right position while maybe simultaneously doing like some specific stuff to bring up the hamstrings and the posterior chain? Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We break cool. it down. I'm just a big, big proponent of the whole part, whole learning yes. method. Okay. Yep. And yep. so we break it down into the parts that they need to work on, which includes, heck, even my top level lifters, they, you know, they, they tend to be weak in that off the floor position too. Yep. So we'll do a lot of exactly what you're saying. We'll do a, a pull to the knees, hold it, and then ease it up into that power position and, and then explode from there. Cool. All right. But if they're not good at it, it really shows up. And <laughs> even if you ask them to hold at the knees for two or three seconds, they're, and if once they get in that correct position, they're, they're not very strong at it, they'll be shaking like crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> and the better imagine. they get at it, they, the more comfortable they are. And then it becomes almost a natural movement then at that point. That's awesome. But yeah, we just break, we break it down like that. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, a lot of times and a lot of the people that are listening to this, they're interested in how we apply this to athletes. So let's say somebody has no aspirations to become like the best Olympic lifter, but they want to be a dominant force, whether it's on the court or on the field. What are you doing, if anything, to adapt the lifts? I mean, are you doing the full lifts? Are you focusing mostly on the pull or, you know, kind of what is your your mindset or your focus there? Well, it, it depends a lot on the sport, but I think one of the things that – people don't understand is that they think that as a weightlifting coach or as a strength training coach that you're going to try to make your lifting movements sport specific. Sure. If you think about it, the the sport specific part, that really takes place on the field or on the court. Okay. So I tell people, because I do some personal training and I said, look, like say if I'm going to work with a football guy, I'll say, look, I'm not going to make you a better football player. 
I'm going to make you bigger, faster, stronger. All your your vertical jump will increase. Your your forty time will decrease. You know, we'll we'll make those things happen for you. But we just can't make it as sports specific as you think it's going to be. Yeah. And it was interesting one time years ago. I don't know if you remember the USOC used to have a, a sports festival. Mm, it was kind yeah. of like a mini mini Olympics. Okay, yep. just for the United States. Really cool thing. It was awesome. But anyway, one time it was at the uh, University of Colorado. Okay. okay. And I was talking to the – I went to see what they, they were doing in their, their strength and conditioning program. And the strength coach at the time, he said, well, I have a manual for football that, get, that lays out the whole, whole year plan. And I said, oh, that'd be great. Uh, you know, I'd love to see that and you know, t- you read that. He said, well, if you like this, you know, we have one for every sport. And so I, at the time, I was coaching a lot of different things. So I said, oh, yeah, what, whatever you can spare. So he gave me one on volleyball and track and wrestling, yeah. a little bit of everything, right? So I have this whole stack of, of manuals. And I'm going to, you know, I'm always trying to learn, always trying right. to pick people's brains, which we all are. Yeah. And so on the plane ride home, I had the whole stack of books. So I'm reading through the one on football. And then I take, got the one on, on volleyball. And I'm looking at it. And I'm comparing it to the one on football, and I'm looking at it, and I'm comparing it. And literally 95% of the manuals were identical. Mm-hmm. The only difference, they had one chapter on quote-unquote sports-specific. You know, just It was still pretty general, but right. it was not uh, – so the bottom line is I don't think – you know, it does correlate to – Vertical power, okay? Force into the ground for every action, and there's an equal and opposite reaction. Force into the ground, force coming back up, okay? And that's what sport's all about. So we try to simulate that. And there are a couple things we do a little bit more sports-specific, but for the most part, we, we we just try to develop that pushing strength and pulling strength and leg strength. And if we can do that, they're going to be better athletes on the floor. And let the coaches take care of the sports specific stuff. I love that answer because... And I'm going to show my age here, but just thinking about the term GPP, you know, like that is what we do. Like we're not out there trying to teach them how to run, you know, better routes or become better basketball players. We give them the physical tools so that their sport coach can go out and help them take their success to the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. it. So just to uh, stir the pot a little bit, how do you respond to the coach that says, quote, the Olympic lifts just take too much time to coach? I've heard that once or twice. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I've heard all kinds of excuses. Yeah. Well, it's too, it's too dirty. It, you know, it's too loud. You know, it takes mm-hmm. too much time to teach. I had weight training classes in, when I was in high school, and it was pretty cool. We had, I mean, we had a great setup. I, I had classes. I had beginner weight weightlifting classes. I had advanced. We had lifting in the morning before school, lifting after school. We had a summer program. I mean, that place That's was awesome. hopping. I would have 30, 35 kids in a weight training class in a 2,000-square-foot area, okay? And I would have ninth graders coming in there. And if you've ever worked with high school kids, ninth graders are pretty much dumb as a box of rocks, (laughs) okay? Yes. So anyway, so they're easily molded, though. And that's that's one of the reasons why I really like the high school level. But ninth grade kids, 30, 35 kids in there, right? And we we would teach them cleans and snatches and jerks. And you know what? Somehow we made it work. But like as an example, uh, I, I would tell people, say, look, say you have 30 kids, okay, and you want to work power cleans. And you're still trying to work the progressions from the top down. And you have some kids who can do it, some kids who can't, some kids that they need to work just on the pull, some kids need to work just on the front squat part of it. So 
I said what I did was I just divided them into, into three groups, okay? Group one, you're, you don't have your, your rack position in the clean yet, so we're just going to do pulls from the knee, for instance, okay? Yeah. All right, group two, your group of 10, you, you have pretty good technique, so we're going to do our, your power cleans from mid-thigh, from that power position, but you're going to do the power clean from there. This other group, you guys have, have it down pretty good. You're going to do power cleans from the floor. So we would just rotate through that way. Yep. The whole class was doing a clean workout, but yep. they were doing it based on what they could do. Right. So, and, and you know, as, as much as, as I am an advocate of getting the Olympic lifts into your program, because I see the value of them. Yep. To be honest, if somebody feels like it takes too much time to teach or it's too hard or the kids can't get it and they don't and the coach hasn't really bought into it, then don't do them. Yeah. You know, because in order for the kids to buy into what you're doing, you have to buy into it. And if you don't, then I'm fine with that. Find other ways to develop the power or to develop the the strength or, you know, whatever system that you're going to use. And I'm fine with that. You can't, you know, you can't put a, a round peg in a square hole, or yeah. is it vice versa? Is it a square yeah. peg in a round hole? Uh, either way, either way, it works. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, you go with you go with what works for you and your philosophy. Now, yeah. trust me, I, I push the value of what we do because sure. there, there's obviously a lot of value. But if you you know if you don't buy into it, then don't you know then don't for, you can't force the issue. Yeah. But I but I will say those who say that it's uh, too hard to teach if you're really into it it is not that hard to teach if you break it down into the progressions and it's like any other skill, okay? And this I think this is one of the reasons why some coaches get into just, you know, going through all the all, all the machines that you have in your gym, okay? Cuz it's yeah. easy to teach that and you could just blow the whistle and say go to it. Yeah. Well, it does take effort to teach, but isn't that really what you do when you're teaching the other skills? I right. mean, just because you get a, a new guy on your on your football line and you have to teach him how to how to be a say a pulling guard, you have to teach the technique of what you wanted to do, right? So, right. if you wanted to do it correctly, it does take time. But I, I would like to think the coaches are good teachers, like yep. I talked about before. So yeah, that is part of it, and it's going to take a little bit of time, and some learn quicker than others. But it's very rewarding, and it, again, if you see the value in it. And if you work at it, it's really worth the effort. Yeah, I'm glad you said that word again because I actually wrote that down in my notes. It's just do you value it or not? And if it's something yeah. you value, you're going to take the time and you're going to put in the effort. And if it's something you don't value, then you're going to have an excuse. And that's fine. Like you said, I think the longer you do this, the more you realize there's many paths that lead to Rome. But, exactly. you know, if you don't value it, that's fine. Find something else that you do. So yeah. if you could build the perfect Olympic lifter. So like, let's say you get a kid like five years old, little Johnny is destined to go to the Olympics. How would you go about building this kid from the ground up? <laughs> That's a good one. First of all, make them an athlete. Okay. Yep. The big push now is the LTAD, long-term athletic development. Yep. We've gotten so far away from that in this country. And we have six-year-old kids that they focus on nothing but soccer. Or nothing but football, yeah. and because, and there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, sometimes it's the parents, sometimes it's the pushy coaches. But yep. my kids going to the Olympics, or my kids getting a scholarship. <sighs> I don't know how many times I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but it was really frustrating to me as a as a high school physical education teacher to see ninth and tenth grade kids come in and you say, okay, we're going to warm up. We're going to do a dynamic warm up for our weightlifting session here. All right, let's do a power skip going down the gym. And then you have a handful of kids that don't know how to skip. 
Yep. How can you be in the ninth to tenth grade and not know how to skip? This, I mean, just basic locomotor skills. When they're five years old, teach them how to skip. Teach them how to jump. Teach them how to land on their jumping. Teach them how to – all the, the, the real basic stuff. Make them an athlete first. Yep. And then as they go through the system uh, – and I'm really a big fan of this. Make them an athlete, and then they can specialize later on. I mean For much sure. later on. You know, and because – when I was at the high school, you know, I would have parents say, well, little Johnny, you know, he's he's uh, he's going to get a scholarship and everything. And I, I had a kid one time. He was a 10th grader and he was a second string pointing second string starting uh, point guard. Well, he got into the game and he turned turned the ball over like seven times. <laughs> and so the coach pulled him out. And the mother afterwards just reamed me out because I was athletic director at the time. I don't know why she didn't talk to the kid or talk to the coach. But right. you know how that goes. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, she said, I can't believe he didn't put him back in. He was going to get a scholarship and everything. And all I could think of is to where? Right. I said, he better have pretty darn good grades. because, And that that's what I would tell all the kids whenever we would have our, our meetings at the beginning of each season. Yep. said, guys, guys and girls, hit the books. Be a good student. Then if you are athletically talented enough where colleges are looking at you, you'll get money that way. Maybe not athletically. But yeah. academically, they'll find money for you because being a D1 scholarship type athlete, they're, they don't come a dime a dozen. I mean, they, right. they take a lot of work to get there. But if you want to play Division two or Division three, you can still have a great career. And, you know, and then after that, you can get into being a, a weightlifter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. Just a little recruiting thing going on there. That's right. But but seriously, as as a five year old, teach them the basics. You know, make them an athlete. Ha- let them enjoy all the sports. Be an all around athlete. Um, because even at the high school level, a three sport athlete just doesn't doesn't seem to exist anymore. I know. And it's kind of frustrating because you know you, you got to walk before you run. You yeah. know, and teach them the basics. And this is why you know. Personal trainers and and the guys in the the performance stuff and you're you're one of them I'm one of them and you know we have to go back and teach them this stuff this yep. should be taught in elementary school yeah but to me that's one of the big problems right there is that it doesn't exist anymore for sure or they'll have physical education a 20 minute period like every every five days or seven days yeah. so it's like not doing a whole lot. No. So, you know, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Uh, and we only have a certain amount no, of time. No, understood. But that's that's where my kids are at. You know, I've got one kid that's in kindergarten and one that's in third grade and they get PE once a week, you know, yeah. 20 minutes. So, hey, man, we're I'm taking them to the gym. We're doing outdoor stuff every day. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's it's 40 degrees out in the winter. Like you can still get outside and do stuff. So just trying to get them that activity and you're absolutely right. Make him an athlete first. That's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. The the strength will come along later, and you know, and we we want them to have fun. We want them to not be burnt out by the time they're 14. You yeah. know, and I just see that all the time. Okay, you you play fall soccer, and then you have winter. You're indoor soccer, and then in the spring you have spring ball, and then you have a travel team, and you're and you're basically playing all year. Yeah. When do you actually get a chance to be a kid? Absolutely. Or when you get the, a chance to actually do skill stuff because you're always playing. You're yeah. always, already playing in games. So like I said, I go on and on and on. But the point is be, make them an athlete first and don't push them and uh, let them enjoy being a kid and, and learning as they go. I love it. All right. Big question time, my friend. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Leo Totten one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? 
Hmm. You know, you just sent me a list of all the questions, and I knew this was going to be one of the (laughs) toughest ones to answer here because I have no regrets for anything I did. I think, like I said, some of the trial and error stuff that took a a while to to get, I think that kind of slowed me down. I think probably one of the the first things I would do would just find a good coach, uh, a good weightlifting coach. And I really didn't have a coach at all until – I got to a higher level and got to the national level, and then I started training at York Barbell when it was still still yeah. doing well, and Smitty, Dick Smith, became my coach. But I still ended up doing all my own programming, and he, he was kind of letting me do my thing, you know, but yeah. I think one of the things that would have been beneficial is to just get a coach so or as early as possible, you know, because... I did a lot of dumb things when I was younger, just thinking it was the right thing to do. And I right. look back at now, you know, oh my God, I, what, what was I thinking? <laughs> but I didn't know any better. So right. if I would have had a coach earlier on to, to really help guide with the weightlifting part, but at the same time, I've had some really good sport coaches that have been mentors to me and, you know, has, has been a good, have been good role models for me. So, you know, I have had a lot of that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I even got into physical education and coaching to begin with, you know, because of those good mentors. But uh, from a weightlifting standpoint, if I would have had a, a really good coach right off the bat, um, you know, I think that would have been very helpful and probably would have affected my career in, in a real positive way. For sure. For sure. All right, my guy. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four pretty quick questions. Your answer can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right? Okay. Number one, you've obviously been incredibly successful over your career. So if you had to describe one, do you have a career highlight as a coach? There's been a bunch. You know, anytime I have one of my lifters that makes, you know, has a successful meet or uh, has a breakthrough, that, that's that's awesome. That's that's yeah. why we do what we do. But as far as me personally, the highlight, I think the very first, uh, I was in two Olympics as the uh, team leader for weightlifting, okay? And the first one was in the uh, 96 Olympics in, in Athens. I'll never forget the the time. What we what they did was they they got everybody together in the old stadium, and they had the new stadium that was like right across the street. Okay, yep. so basically what they did was they they got everybody organized in the old one, and then we walked across just well, it was more like an alley than anything. Walked across the street, and then we walked up a ramp, and then down a ramp into the stadium. The, the feeling that you get when you cross over that that that, that hump of that, that ramp and start coming down and all the people and the, the, the flash bulbs and the just – I think I literally floated down that, that ramp. I, I don't think I, I touched it. one step. <laughs> it was – I mean goosebumps. I, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah. And then just walking around the stadium and just oh, – it, it, that feeling, you just, you just can't, you can't beat it. So, you know, anytime, anytime you ask that question, that's got to be the highlight. And like I said, there's been a bunch, you know, but uh, that that had to be it. So this will actually lead me well into my second question, which is what does it feel like and what is the pressure like coaching at a major event like that? The pressure's there, obviously, but you just have to keep your cool. And, yeah. you know, you're you're grinding on the inside, but you're just smiling. And as the, the deodorant commercial would say, just don't let them see you sweat. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah, the anxiety is there, but it's more of an excitement than, than an anxiety. Because when I think of the word anxiety, you almost think of a negative, yeah, there's uh, a negative thing that's dragging you it. down. Yeah. But that, uh, that excitement and that anxiety actually picks me up, you know, yeah. even more so. But at the same time, I can't seem, you know, too hyped up and too excited, you know. 
You just got to do what you normally do and pretty much try to get your athletes doing the same type of thing. And, you know, I just remember the first for the Olympic trials in 1988. This is, again, way back. Arne Kritzky was was one of my lifters, and he had made the uh, 84 Olympic team, and he was trying to make the 88 Olympic team. And it was my – that was my first real big – it was the Olympic trials, so it was really big event for me just to make sure I didn't screw up because right. I had really only been coaching weightlifting for about three or four years at that point. I, Like I said, I'd done a lot of coaching of other things, but right. so I was a nervous wreck. Yeah, uh, I didn't, but I didn't let it show. And he ended up having a real good meet and, and making the team. Yeah. So that sort of thing. I think, you know, you try to handle it as much of a normal meet as possible, but it, it's different, you yeah. know, and I, I tried to get that point across to the athletes. I said, look, you know, how you compete in a local meet and how you compete in a national meet and how you compete in an international meet, they're all different. They're, they're different levels of anxiety and all the, the things that are involved with it. So the key to it is to try to handle each one the same, I yeah. think, so that yeah. you know there's nothing changed, that you're as consistent as possible. And it's not like, well, you know, at a local meet, I made this meet, so I really have to push harder now because this is a national meet. Right. You, know, you, you do this, try to keep the same mental approach that you do physical and so you know it was nice that i had that lot of that experience as i was competing myself and then i was able to carry over a lot of that stuff to the uh, to the athletes as a coach that's awesome okay number three what's been your biggest failure or struggle as a coach and what have you learned from it well first of all i i think you know i'm always trying to learn Okay, yeah. you know, there's so, there's especially with the internet now, there's so many experts out there, and we'll use that term yes. very loosely. Yeah. But there are a lot of good good things on the internet, and but there's a lot of crap that people just kind of throw up against the wall and see if it sticks and see if people can follow right. them or they can build a big name for themselves. So you know, always learning, but trying to learn from the people who've been there, done that. You know, experience has shown that what they do works. Follow the research and the research that, you know, really is backed up by significant backing up of what, you know, what they're saying that that's working. For sure. Uh, So I think, but for me, you know, I'm constantly learning, but I think the biggest thing is a better grasp of the, the technology. You know, and that's that's come along and, and I've come a long way, obviously. Right. But uh, I think an earlier grasp of that and one of the things that I'm not as good at as I would like to be is putting the, the all my program design into more of a, a thing where, you know, calculating the number of reps and what percentage right. the thing. So I'm not as good as good at that as, as I and I'm getting better at it even even now. But For sure. uh, uh, I think an earlier grasp of the technology and, and that sort of thing, I think would have, would have been beneficial. But, you know, overall, I've just been very fortunate, you know, hanging out with good quality people that I've I've learned from and, you know, just keep on learning. And I always, I always tell people, I say, look, if you come across somebody who thinks they know it all, stay far away because they yeah. have no clue. You yeah, know? exactly. And it's kind of frustrating because – the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Exactly. And so it is a little bit frustrating, but at the same time, if you go into it with a, a growth mindset, so to speak, I think you know you're gonna you're gonna be a good coach or or even a good athlete for that matter. It's just always be willing to keep on learning and do it as consistently as possible. I love it. All right. Last but not least, number four. What's next for Leo Todd? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything? Well, I'm retired. You know that. And uh, yeah. I've been retired from school for, oh gosh, what's it been, 14 years now. Yep. But 
I'm busier now than I was in school. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, yes. Just doing more things, you know, always trying to do, meet up with more good people and, and create more relationships, doing the things I love to do, you know, just getting the word out there about not only Olympic lifting, but strength training in general and, you know, conditioning and doing the, the right things with the right people right. for the right reasons. And sure. uh continue doing that and my business is is going really well i do That's seminars awesome. and clinics and things and still teach a lot of the usa weightlifting courses but i have my own courses that i teach and i do seminars i go out to different places people ask me where my uh, where my gym is and i don't really have a gym on my own i, I do <laughs> right. tra- train in a gym near my hometown they've been really good about letting me do a lot of my things there at cool. westminster strength and conditioning in in maryland yep. right down the right down the road for me really but uh yeah just continuing to do what we do and try to get more education out there from a blog perspective and a youtube perspective and things like that and not to get rich, but to, you know, just to kind of get the word out there. And if I can make a few bucks off the deal as well, eh, yeah. that's even better. So, uh, that's awesome. uh, but just, I just like, I like what I'm doing and I'll continue doing that until I can't do it anymore. I know people ask me when I'm going to really retire and I'm going, mm, I don't know yeah. <laughs> as long as I keep doing what I like to do. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of us are wired that way. We just enjoy what we do. It doesn't feel like work. So you can do that for a really long time. Well, and that's that's what I told kids at school that, you know, they would be talking about what, you know, what college they want to go to or what career they want to get into. And I, I said, my my best advice is just to find something you really like to do and go after it. The money's important, but it's not the most important thing. Yep. Make sure you really love what you're doing. Make sure you have a passion for it and the money will come. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, they, they think a lot of the uh, kids getting out of high school think, well, or out of college, well, I should be making six figures. No, you got to, you know, clean a few to- toilet bowls first. Uh, yeah. If you're a strength coach, you have to wipe down a few benches first. <laughs> you know, you got to pay your dues. Yep. And a lot of kids aren't willing to do that. To do that. But if you find a, find something that you're really good at, just uh, just keep getting better at it. And, you know, that way you don't force yourself to get out of bed every day. You, the, the day flies by. And I, yep. I've been very fortunate. I, I really appreciate the fact that. I, I've been doing what I like to do. The days fly by, and my fact, going by too fast as I get older, they can <laughs> yes. slow the heck down. Actually, <laughs> right, right. But yeah, so that's that's the big thing. Just keep on keep on doing what we do. I love it. Well, Leo, you've been awesome to chat with today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great things you have going on? The best way is just to go right to my website, tottentraining.com. I have all kinds of things listed, upcoming events. I have some really good blog posts on there. We keep it up to date. Always open for, you know, if somebody needs me to come in and do a seminar or clinic there, whether it's a USAW one or my own. But if you check check the website, it has an explanation of all the stuff we do and what our offerings are. And we just we just love doing, getting out and helping people. That's, that's really the bottom line. I love so, it. Just TottenTraining.com is the best way to do it. And, of course, we have Facebook at, at TottenTraining and Twitter and Instagram. So just keep following and become friends and all that other good stuff. And people ask me. I do a lot of, a lot of different posts going on you know, all the time. And people ask me. They said, do you write all that stuff or does Kate? Kate is my uh, social media. She's, she's awesome. I, this, do I write that? I said, I write it. She posts Post it. Yeah, that's <laughs> smart, she's man. Really good at keeping up on it because I mean it's it just takes time. Yeah, absolutely. And she does a great job with it. So yeah, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just check it out at Totten Training. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I get that link in the show notes. Everybody can find you. But again, Leo, thanks so much for coming on, man. This was great. 
Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate what you do and whether it's with this podcast and all the stuff you do with your athletes. I think we're on the same wavelength as far as you do the right things for the right reasons, you know. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Really appreciate it. Of course. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Leo. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He is just an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to the Olympic lifts. So whether you're a rank newbie, somebody that wants to learn how to coach the lifts a little bit better, or somebody that's at the upper crust when it comes to learning the lifts and really dialing in and refining performance, he's somebody that I think you can learn from for many, many years to come. So show, that's a wrap, as they say, but I would like to ask you to do me one of two favors. If you're not already subscribed to the show, what are you waiting for, my friend? Go to SoundCloud, go to iTunes, go to the Google Play Store, wherever you can find the store, whatever medium works best for you. If you would hit the subscribe button, I would greatly appreciate it. You won't have to worry about emails. You'll be automatically notified every week when a new show drops. If you're already subscribed, very much appreciated. If you would take two minutes out of your day, go to the iTunes store, give me a ranking, Give me a rating. Let me know what you're thinking of the show. Any feedback, any thoughts would be greatly appreciated because, look, I'm a man of the people. I do this for you. Do I enjoy it? Absolutely. But I hope you enjoy it as well. I hope every week when you listen to these shows, it's going to make you a better trainer, a better coach, or a better athlete. So, my friend, that does it for this week's episode. Love and appreciate you, and we'll be back soon with our next show. 